today's episode brought to you by BossPods.com. Want a podcast like a boss? We've got the inside word on how to set up a podcast that's actually worth something. We've got the industry's best to show you how. BossPods.com. Podcast like a boss. So uh, it was uh, World Refugee Day just a few days ago. World Refugee Day. G'day, g'day, mate. Before it's too late, I want to celebrate with you this marvellous date. My family arrived down under in 1995. War and thunder, we just survived. Straya gave us a home, complete with a garden gnome. I learned English, but the Aussies swallowed and cut their words very short. It's like halfway through a phrase they'd press abort. But today I'm good as bloody gold. I read newspaper furfies and catch the common cold. I bellow waltzing Matilda from the core whilst John O, my mate down the pub, recounts Ned Kelly's folklore. Occasionally we'd peek through the neighbour's door to watch Davy Warner smash a cracking four. See, it's winter and we don't have pay TV, so we have to peek through the neighbour's door. <laughs> Oh, it's good to don the golden green and yell Aussie, Aussie, Aussie at the screen. I yabber in Aussie and shoo the mozzie at the wicket. That's right, I've assimilated so much that I now play cricket. After a win, I don't drink beer, but raise me soda and cheers the team. Hear, hear. Beautiful land girt by the seas, koalas, roos and ghost gum trees. Plain freedom, but gee whiz. Can we stop locking up refugees? Please explain. So many cultures crash and collide. Colourful people come from far and wide. Some to see the reef, others to seek refuge and reside. They chant their rosy oath side by side. And no matter what their religion or race, their lives makes this land bloody ace. Boat people sadly get a bad rap. When they arrive alive on our shores, our conscience takes a nap. But this is the land which bred Bradman and Farlap, an iconized Vegemite, meat pies, crocodile, Dundee, and to an extent the 3 a.m.s of Lucky Rap, Saturday night's favorites. <laughs> so let's sing. Advance Australia fair, Dinkum will be born in the air. Barbies, shrimps, and footy teams. Swimming in waterholes and river streams. Freedom of speech and anti-liberal party memes. And reaching to the skies with boundless dreams. All a taste of this free country I now call home. Though I'm, I'm still unsure of me garden gnome. A huge ramble for you coming up next this week, friends. Welcome to the Podcast Ramble. Welcome to Coming Up Next with Alistair Marks. That's me. I'm Alistair Marks. And I won't keep you for too long at the head this week because my guest has brought so much fun, so much philosophy, such deep insights into his creative life and a, uh, a pretty high dose of the sillies. So I don't want to keep you for too long. But you can find out more information about him and you can get signed copies of his book, Good Muslim Boy, over at osamasami.com and keep your eyes peeled for his upcoming film, Ali's Wedding. 
And whether you're tuning in every week or this happens to be your first time popping by, jump on iTunes, hit the subscribe button, rate and review the show, and I will keep bringing you amazing guests like my guest in the chat cave this week, Osama Sammy. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's it's a really beautiful kind of uh, picture that you've painted of uh, who you are, just kind of in a in a little poem. Thanks, man. Well, thanks for uh, first. Thanks for having me again. Because last time, you know, we we were here and something happened to the file. Yep. It uh, <laughs> it was. Uh, you said the file got corrupted. Might have gotten deleted. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, Whoops. What I was going to say before was, I feel there's a, almost fortuitous that. We do get to sit down and talk again because since we last spoke, you've actually won um, a really big literary award. Yeah, and thanks, man. You've kind of uh, blown up a bit with uh, with what you've been doing with your with your book and with Ali's wedding, and actually got to speak to Tony Ayres as well on the show since we uh, tried to do a, a podcast. Um, so I feel like I, I feel like there's even more to talk about now, um, now that we're actually sitting down and fingers crossed, get this out into the world. No, everything happens for a reason, man. I mean, it's uh, it's great that, uh, you know, and, and I, I'd take any opportunity to come and sit down and have a chat to you. I mean, you did say you, you might be leaving soon as well, right? Mm. Uh, you're going to go to uh, England, so um, the Ununited Kingdom. <laughs> and as it is now as it is now but uh which is great because your podcast is going to start having some international flavor and, and yeah. all that and like but just to help you with that i can maybe give you i can pre- i can pretend to be an arab prince who yeah. has come from the uae and he is here and uh, what are you doing with my steed that is for the melbourne cup uh, he sounds him. Egyptian. This guy doesn't sound you <laughs> not authentic at all. Maybe I'll leave the international flavor to uh, the real international people. Is he interested in uh, investing in a podcast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what is a podcast? Is it something you sit in and it casts your uh, what? What is it? Yeah, you use it to uh, create spells. Yes, uh, yes, my spelling is not good at the best of times. That is, uh, I will take that on board. How many million? Uh, <laughs> well, we'll just keep it on the low end of four. Yeah, great. <laughs> low budget Aussie movie. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty high budget for an Aussie movie, isn't it? Four, uh, four million is, um, is I mean, medium. It's technically, yeah. technically low budget, but I mean, yeah. low budget in Hollywood is now 50 million. It's crazy what they spend uh, over there. Like the, the, they joke that our movie budgets are their catering budgets, mm. but it's not a joke because it's true. And yeah. It's actually quite scary. Mm. But um, enough talk of Hollywood. Yeah, I know. Let's I talk just about you. I just made a movie, uh, and all of a sudden, I'm talking about Hollywood and being a UAE prince. Like, settle down, mate. <laughs> the, the other day at Fed Square, I hosted. Um, I emceed World Refugee Day, um, oh, wow. and at, and it was great because got to introduce this great lineup mm. of people and um, and a lot of bands and and it, and it was uh, it was great, and uh, I wanted to kind of plug my book, uh, Good Muslim Boy, and uh, so I had I had a, f- a few copies there ready to sell, and I said 
you know, and there was like 3,000 people you're talking to each time mm. you get on stage. And the other poets and other esteemed guests had, you know, books and CDs. And I said, look, there's books and CDs and you can sign. And also yours truly's got a book out there, which, um, which, um, which um, I just couldn't bring myself to say it's won the, you know, New South Wales Premier's Literary Prize. Mm. It's, I, I used to be able to plug it before when it hadn't done well. Like, right. oh, yeah, I got a book, Good Muslim Boy. Now, you know, it got uh, highly committed to Victorian premieres, won the Nisa, and it's, it's harder. So the, the tripod band were there, and I told them, guys, this is what's happening. They said, yeah, if you go out and, and do say that, people go, come on, mate, sell down. Yeah. Rightio now. Just don't get ahead of yourself. Oh, you just won an award, just settle down, just tell us you got a book and, you know, she'll be right. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, uh, it was really difficult actually bringing myself and um, uh, myself to, to actually talk about it in that, in that way. You know, and I'm not a salesman. Mm. Um, I wish I had a bit of Jewish blood, speaking of uh, <laughs> um, just very wise, shrewd salespeople. I, I, I uh, yeah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it. And so I'm grateful for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that you can do it for me. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Um, I like how you just rolled your eyes. I, I will, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny. I think a lot of that has to do with um, this whole idea of the tall poppy thing as well. Like we're told or we're kind of learn by example in Australia that we can't we can't be too big. You know, you can kind of... You can achieve a level of success, but at a certain point, you know, you kind of got to back off a little bit and let other people do the talking for you. There's something, and it's weird because if you were in America, you'd be like, yeah, I won this award, I won this award. Totally, and you man. bat an eyelid. Yeah, it's, it, that's what it is. It's that uh, tall poppy. And, and, it's, and, you know, and I've grown up with it, as you've heard in the poem. I've kind of uh, assimilated in that, in not only integrated, but mm. uh, so, so it's... Um, so it's ingrained in me now, and I can't, uh, I, I can't do it. I can't bring myself to doing it, but, but unless someone else does it, and then you have to kind of put a hand on your chest and just do a little bow and just feign humility. Mm. But, but there's something about, actually, <laughs> I like the idea of not, you know, that American ego, egoistic kind of, you know, uh, conceited at times. It, it's, uh, it gets in the way of the work. I mm. think because you know then your ego becomes so big you can't see you it becomes foggy and 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 you can't be as creative as uh you know you really truly are meant to be deep down so mm. so no i'm I'm grateful in a way that uh i I'm not like that, but also I'd like to sell some books <laughs> <laughs> well, a good Muslim boy can be uh, purchased <laughs> at all good book retailers and online I'm sure. Yeah, and, and on my website, I've got a, a limited number, which um, I signed personally. Oh, wow. Yeah, com, And, it's, uh, and uh, yeah, I've got some uh, stock, which, which is great because I've gone through half of it now, particularly after the day after I won the award, mm. Peter Dutton came out and said, refugees are illiterates, and I tweeted that. <laughs> uh, um, I said, you know, this illiterate refugee just won the you know, literary prize award and mm. um, in my third language. So can you read my words now, you illiterate, you know, uh, dimwit? And uh, <laughs> and it went viral and uh, 
and then I wrote a notepad which got picked up by Mum Mia and and yeah, so I I got um, I moved some of the stock through that, but it was great because also it um, you know validated the point that others were making mm. on my behalf, on my people's behalf. Mm. You know, you had a lot of you know, decent Australians going, hey, man, this is not cool. You can't say things like that. You know, refugees are illiterate. Mm. And, and and even if they were, that does that make them less of a human being? Mm. You know, that's the, the, like, yeah, okay, so some of them are. My grandma was illiterate, but she had the heart of a lioness and definitely a hundred times uh, more human than Dutton will ever be. So, um, so both ways... Uh, he was a loser on that. Mm. And I mean, what it, I suppose what a great platform it kind of gives you when you do, uh, when when you are given that kind of credibility um, with something quite prestigious and esteemed. Yeah, it's great. I'm, I was thinking about the night that I won the award, right? And I went in dressed in my dishdash and my Arab uh, dress. And I thought, man... I better win this, otherwise they're going to say, "Did you guys see that <laughs> that, <laughs> that loser? Who was he? What was he doing?" Because people don't remember who was shortlisted as, as mm. great as it is. Mm. Um, and uh, and yeah, it was, uh, and you know, and I was the it was uh, like a truly an honor because I was the first uh, Australian of Iraqi heritage to win a literary prize, you know. So mm. that's great. Like, you know, you, you become the first of something. I've always, you know, been interested in those. But like, who was the first who did that? Who was the, you know, because in a hundred years, um, you'll be one of a thousand. Yeah. And that's the cool thing, you know. Now I'm banking on 10 Iraqis winning <laughs> literary <laughs> awards every year from here on in. <laughs> but um, we can do it. Yalla, ya shabab. Yalla, yalla. <laughs> I believe in you. Uh, well, that, that, that brings about a very interesting kind of segue into talking about your upbringing. Um, uh, you and I met doing, we were both acting in a, uh, a live interactive experience i guess you'd call it called. yeah scaring people yeah it was based on the show the popular show prison break that's right uh prison break live at luna park as run by linton v harris yes uh and how many years ago was that that was 2006 wow man yeah that's a decade we've known each other for a decade that's a long time brother yeah wow and and we kind of do that thing where we drop into each other's lives every few years. Yeah, that's right. Do a little catch up and then we yeah. don't see each other for a little while. Except that's for this right. year where we've now seen each other twice in a few months thanks to my technological <laughs> uh, yes. malfunction. But you're right. But, but the thing is, it's the goddamn Facebook, man. Yeah. It makes you complacent mm. with your friends because you go... Al, oh yeah, Al's great because I know because I saw him the other day. Oh, did you? What did he say? Well, it's not so much what he said; it's what he posted. It's what he typed, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it becomes this kind of happy bubble, mm. which is okay, you know. Like you know, it's it's nice. It's good to be happy, you know. You don't want to yeah. um, have a go at people for always being happy, but surely no one's always that happy. Mm. And you kind of wanna, you know, when you're friends with someone. You want to be able to also share their their pain as well, mm. 
Um, and that's, I think, what we miss when, uh, uh, when we catch up. Because also when we do catch up, it's always the good things. It's always a good mm. time. So, except earlier today, I had a little bit of a whinge about how much I've been traveling and, and all that. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, not so much a whinge. It's just a, a recount of where things are at, I yeah. guess, on a philosophical level. Thanks uh, for making that. That's all right. That's, that's part of what I do. Yeah, yeah, just make uh, make things okay for people. Make things okay, and make your guests uh, feel really, really welcome. Except that I didn't get that mic set up that you talk about. Well, I haven't still... finished building it yet. Well, why didn't I get invited? Now this is another thing. You invite me smack bang in the middle of Ramadan when we're fasting. Yeah, you bring me here. You go. Do you want a water? Knowing full well that I can't have one. Then you go. <laughs> I've got this rig set up. Um, it's not for you. Um, so you don't want the water because you can't have the water. You can't have the rig either. Yeah. And um, let's uh, sit down and talk next to a leaf blower. <laughs> yep. That's right. <laughs> I won't tell you about the roast that I've prepared as well. Uh, it's pig, pig, is it? Uh, it's yeah. Nice yeah, smothered in cheese. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So neither of us can eat it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, well, my friend um, said... Uh, we, we're doing this play, uh, and which I just finished last week, the, the, the Adelaide tour of. And um, whenever we'd go out, uh, he'd say, "You know what? I what I'll order? I'll order you know bacon and ham and and uh, all this kind of uh, meat and alcohol." And go, um, Osama and his Muslim friends, please dig in, please have some. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, you can't have any. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he, you know, he always wins, win-win. Mm. Um, I don't actually know very much about Ramadan. What, what is the significance of it? Uh, well, you know, it's, you you fast from food. That's the obvious one. Mm. So from sunrise to sunset, we don't eat any food, and we don't have any drinks. So mm. No, um, no water, nothing. And and I I was saying on stage the other day. Uh, that, um, you know, my idea of a drink is a lemonade, having a drink with my mates. And my idea of a drink in Ramadan is having a lemonade after 7 p.m. So it's, uh, <laughs> you know, um, so so that's on a sort of a superficial level. Mm. And then it's more for your soul, man. It's, mm. you know, it, it's good to be able to challenge yourself. And, you know, it's a diet of some sorts. It also gets you thinking and you start asking yourself, why am I doing it? And then mm. you go to the Genesis and you realize, okay, uh, you know, it's to get you thinking about how fortunate you are, how lucky you are, uh, and, and how much we eat, man. Like the, the amount of food I, I've only realized because whenever we catch up, or, you know, friends and and meetings, you go, let's meet over lunch, let's meet over mm. coffee, let's have a drink. And we're always eating, you know, and, and you know, it's, it starts early with brekkie and coffee and then you have, a, you have a brunch and then a lunch and then a snack and all leading to dinner. And you realize how important it is and how, uh, you know, and, and how great it is to be able to have that without blinking an eye. Mm. And, of course, you know, you and I know that, you know, half the world isn't that uh, lucky. So uh, you can show uh, gratitude um, to the provider, whether it's God or uh, Woolies. 
Um, <laughs> um, but it's it, 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 it's got a lot of sort of deeper levels, and and each Muslim will have their own interpretation of it, mind you, and mm. their own um, way of uh, coming to terms with Ramadan in the workplace, in society, and everything else. Mm. Is it something that you? that you've always done or is it something that you only really do as an adult? No, I've been doing it for about so over 20 years now. Uh, mm. Since I was a, as a young kid, we used to have um, fasting, which we, we'd call it the head of the bird, literally translates to head of the bird. So it means tiny. Mm. Um, and you, we break our fast at, uh, by noon. So that, you know, when we're seven and eight and nine years old. And then after nine, you just start doing the whole day, the hard yakka. Mm. But the thing with Ramadan is you don't have to fast if you're um, sick, if you're the elderly, if you're pregnant, uh, and if you're traveling. Mm. Now, this last one really uh, is, is one that I really love. Because what constitutes a travel under Islamic law mm. is around 24 kilometers, 24.2 or something like that. Right. This is if so if you travel from the last point of your city, not from the CBD, from the 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 last point, from, it's technically the last light that you can see in a city, for twenty four kilometers, then you're a traveller. So, days where I didn't <laughs> want to fast and I had big important meetings or shooting days on, I'd go to Craigie Burn, yeah, reset the <laughs> reset the meter, and uh, the odometer. And floor it. 100 kilometers an hour, all you have to travel is about seven minutes, and that's 24 kilometers. And then I'd pull over by this uh, you know, service station, and there'd be 16 other Iraqis eating submarine <laughs> sandwiches. <laughs> and they're like, hey, Osama, you're here too. Great, welcome, welcome. Um, so I guess we're traveling. <laughs> yeah, you all found the loophole. So we found the religious loophole. Uh, and, that's, um, and I've been quite attached and fond of that. Uh, loophole. Although one of the scholars recently um, changed the definition of travel, because twenty four k's back in the day, can you imagine on a camel? Mm. It's it's travel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, one scholar changed it to eighty kilometers, which just makes a little, you know, more Geelong way. It just mm. makes a little like you'd really have to be invested in not fasting to do it. And mm. um, so now I just fast. It's just easier. It's just easier to just go through 12 hours not eating and drinking. Mm. I suppose in these winter kind of uh, months in Australia anyway, the days aren't too long. Thanks for pointing that out. I was trying to uh, uh, show the listeners how difficult fasting <laughs> is, but it's not. Really, it's, it's not. really why you moved to Australia. It really is not. Well, when we first moved in in 95... Mm. Um, we used to fast uh, during, it was summer, because, you know, the, the um, Arab calendar is, is shorter, so it changes uh, every, it flips every 10 years or so. And it was in the middle of summer, it was like around January, oh, December, wow. and we used to fast till about 9 p.m. Yeah, and wow. sunrises earlier, everything. And, uh, and in, a, in 99, 2000, we used to fast till about 8.30 p.m. or something like that. And I was working in Shepherd and picking tomatoes and in the farm, in the heat. And, you know, you'd go out at 5 a.m. till mm. 5 p.m. And you're just picking tomatoes all day in the heat. And it, um, I think it's got 
that's part of the reason why a lot of us Arabs are cuckoo sometimes. <laughs> you know, we just be in the sun too much, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> that, that might explain some of our bad decisions. <laughs> so, um, don't, uh, so the people who are, you know, anti-immigration and stuff, give us a break. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that, that'd be the same if they walked a, a month in your shoes. If that month was Ramadan. That's right, yeah. Just come and fast with us for 14 hours. But but as you mentioned, now it's so easy, man. I just, I don't feel it. Mm. Um, like now, today, I've got uh, four movies lined up that I'm going to see at Nova. Mm. And um, just to, one of the ways to kill time, you know, I go in. Obviously, it's uh, research and all that yep. as a filmmaker. And that's a tax write-off. Um, yeah, we... we <laughs> tax write-off. <laughs> Your six dollar movie at Nova on a that, Monday. That's right. On a Monday, it's yeah. it's like yeah, three dollars or something, you yeah. know. And I've got a VIP card which makes it a dollar fifty. <laughs> just pay the booking fee. The booking fee is actually more expensive than the film. <laughs> um, and we'll but, probably have to do this interview again at some point today. That's right. Yeah, yeah exactly. When Ramadan is over, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> um, you, you touched on an interesting point there uh, about when you arrived in Australia. Um, one of the great things about doing this podcast is when I do get to talk to someone that I've known for a while, I get to do a little bit of uh, detective work and uncover mm. interesting things about their kind of their past and their upbringing. And obviously, you did not grow up in Australia. Um, I'd love to hear. I'd love. Uh, I'd love for you to share the the story of of what it was like for you to grow up in Australia. No, no, in, <laughs> in Iran. <laughs> right. Well, that might take us to another little poem. Mm. Okay. I like it. You're a storyteller. Uh, yeah, I mean, see, for me, poetry, you know, when language isn't enough, when I can't, you know, like, how can I sum up living in, in Iran in, in a short podcast whilst not making it, you know, just too down and sad and everything for mm. for for the listener because i'm also i like to tell stories with uh you know with a, with a, with humor because you know it makes it it makes the stories more um you know it kind of disarms your audience mm. in a way and also uh brings them in you know they're they're allowed in rather than just looking at you from the outside over the fence and going oh, we feel sorry for him. And it, it becomes sympathy rather than empathy. Mm. So I grew up in a town called Abadan. Uh, Abadan, to set up, is on the Iran-Iraq border. Mm. My father was Iraqi, uh, and, uh, but he was fighting for the Iranians because he'd escaped uh, prison, Saddam Hussein's prison, from Iraq to Iran. And he met my mom in a camp there. And um, his brothers, my uncles, were fighting for the Iraqis. And it was always, you know, and the Iraqis, if you remember, I don't know, the images from Saddam Hussein and the Ba'ath Party, they had these mustaches, thick mustaches. Mm. The Iranians had the beards, like you and I right now. So we're on the Iranian side. Yes. And um, by default. And... Uh, and it, it, I always had that question, like, Mum... Who's the good side? The beards or the mustaches? Mm. It was a, that to me as a as a seven year old. That was how I saw it. And uh, and what if Dad's brother saw my dad? Mm. 
would would he shoot? What would happen? I was always interested in what would happen if those two men just and it could happen. I mean, the world is crazy, and you know, and they are both on the front line. Mm. So this is the last year of the war in Abadan. Abadan, first of April, nineteen eighty nine. A lonely road sign, strafed electrical line, skin slapping sunshine. Crows fly crash low to dine, oil in the barren desert refines. A tank's shell is my friend by design. I bend and straighten my six-year-old spine. A soldier's corpse breathes stains, bloodied wine. And as the crows nibble on his still-as-portrait carcass fine, I notice his face. Tales of sadness and madness once raged, and now he's full of resign. And nobody was going to shout, "Hey, kid, April Fools!" So, uh, yeah, I got a little <laughs> bit of a chill there, remembering that image. But um, mm. yeah, it's uh, yeah, this is what we saw. Growing up. It's funny, I talked about humor. <laughs> There's no humor in that, but... Uh, yeah, it's funny because um, I, I went to a... Uh, my mum used to take me to this fortune teller to see what would become of her eldest, of her firstborn. And um, the fortune teller just... just old like i'm talking noah's wife lives on old mm. you know uh, and 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 her one of her eyes was green and the other one just had nothing in it it was like it was like the you know the 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 you know when they blow up a tunnel inside the mountain with mm. dynamite and it just goes all black it's like that yeah wow and uh and but but she was kind of you know shedding skin and she'd hold my hand and try to read you know my future and uh, she said your son uh, will be a great doctor one day and and my mom said oh great what do you mean she said yeah perhaps uh, a therapist my mom said you mean he'll need a therapist for the rest <laughs> of his life <laughs> you know um because the um the fortune teller said now that your son of the prophecy is that he's going to be successful. I'll have to charge you a success fee. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, we went to her a few times, actually. Mum mm. was, uh, uh, kind of into that. Uh, but, but you know what, as crazy as it is, she did say, we're going to leave Iran to a land large and green. Mm. Now, you know, I, I can be as, you know, anti-superstition as I want to be, but it's kind of still eerie that she did say that. And this was like during the war, like this was 10 years before we left Iran. Mm. 
but you know, it could have been one of those vague things. You could go to a big <laughs> green land. What do you mean? A soccer stadium? That's yeah, a big, yeah. big green land. I would have still gone, oh yeah, she was right. She said big green land. This is kind of a... <laughs> you can kind of hedge your bets on uh, ambiguous right. terms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As a fortune teller. And what was it like for you, the day-to-day kind of realities of growing up in the war, but also needing to go to school and get an education and, and things like that? It became so normal that anything else felt unnatural Mm. it became a part of life that you didn't even think about it i i I didn't even think oh my god there's a war and we have to go to school no i just thought how am i going to finish my school project and without getting whacked by the teacher you know Mm. that everything else was a backdrop was secondary and and, um you know i remember vividly the um the war sirens, when they'd go on, would have to all huddle in the bunkers and all the Iranians. And we were seen as Arabs because I'm Iraqi. And, uh, you know, we, Iran was fighting with Iraq and we were seen as the enemy, even though we were just living there as, you know, kind of refugees. Mm. Um, it was very, you know, we'd be in the bunker with all these Iranians and they'd be saying, oh, it's all their fault, it's their people, it's their mothers and fathers and, you know, it's their families on the other side fighting against us, killing our people. And it's funny, I came to Australia, I thought that'd end. <laughs> <laughs> and on a tram, they still say the same stuff about me. So mm. um, it's, a, yeah, it was... So in a way you go, oh, no, but I'm, I'm, I speak Persian. I'm with you. I'm, my dad's fighting for, for the Iranians. Can we just, you know, play soccer together? But, uh, but you know, the Persians had a saying, Arab dar biyaban malakh mi khorad, sag esfahan abiyakh mi khorad, which meant, and it is sprawled all over walls and graffiti on buildings. Like it's, it means something like... Um, the Arab eats um, maggots in the desert whilst a Persian dog uh, gets fed, you know, the coldest icy waters mm. for dessert, you know, uh, if I try to rhyme it. But, 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 it's, uh, um, but that was the sentiment that... Uh, and, and I didn't blame them. I, I even kind of identified with being a Persian, having gone to school there and everything else... Um, because I mean, man, that they, they, first they were kids, mm. and and that's what war does, man. Uh, makes people crazy, you know. It makes uh, sane people insane. So can you imagine if you're already insane, what would happen? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it, it was a it was a day to day lifestyle that we got used to. But at the same time, um, uh, when the war ended and years later, I think only as an adult I can now reflect. Mm. And, and also sometimes I, I question the things I do and why I do them. And I realize a lot of it comes from the, you know, childhood. I, um, for instance, uh, for a while I was just wearing red. I was wearing, you know, red tops, and I thought, "What am I, a Manchester United fan? What's going on?" <laughs> and um, but then I traced it back to um, all the the blood and everything else, and I kind of wanted to overcome that fear of red, the color red. So I just started mm. wearing it. Um, 
it's like I almost drowned once in a, in a lake in a Gambi. I didn't know how to swim. And, and, you know, I was scared to even have a shower afterwards because I was scared of water. But then to overcome that fear, I just went to the pool and dived in the deep and just started to taught myself how to swim because I was too old to, <laughs> to go and get <laughs> swimming lessons. Man, we Arabs are stubborn. Yeah. We, we're cooked heads, you know, <laughs> and just we don't think straight. <laughs> so in a way, that was one of the ways of dealing with it. And yeah, so sometimes I, I, I do things. Because when I sleep, it's a part of me now. It, it sleeps with me. Mm. And there's no way, you know, it's like when... If you're walking on your parents having sex, you can't unsee that shit. Yeah. You know, it's done mm-hmm. forever. And some things you just can't unsee. Whereas our old podcast, you just deleted it and it's done. Yep. It's you can't un- it unheard. <laughs> it's, that's it. <laughs> it's gone. We don't probably even remember half the things we said in it. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> so while while you were growing up uh, in this kind of war zone. Well, not kind of in a war zone. Was your family quite conservative, or were they orthodox, or was there were they more liberal? No, I grew up in a in a strict religious environment, and uh, even post war, we moved to a city called Qom, which is the Vatican of the Muslim Shiite world. You know, it's uh, turban festival. <laughs> there's you know, there's clerics everywhere. They outnumber civilians. Mm. And uh, my dad was a cleric. And uh, so, yeah, I grew up in, the, in, a, in a very sort of spiritual and had a holy feel to it. And, and it was great because, you know, I learned some crap. But mm. at the same time, there's some things that it teaches you that... Um, a secular society might not, mm. and um, because and I can say that because I've grown up in both environment, right? And you know, and then you take the best of both worlds, right? You know, you, you, you can't. That's why I don't like people who are always leaning too left or too right. You know, it's it's just they're extremists either way. Mm. And yeah, so so I grew up in that kind of environment, but at, but at times it did get a little annoying because you know. Things like, you know, boys couldn't wear T-shirts because, you know, short sleeve. Um, You couldn't put gel in your hair. Like, it was that full on. You know, we're not just talking you can't talk to girls. No, that Mm. was like a given. You know, this was, you know, you could because why? Because American um, Hollywood stars put gel on their hair. So, we don't want to emulate them. Mm. Anything that resembled or, or was to be seen as an American... Like, you know, you couldn't wear a Rocky Balboa T-shirt or things like that. Mm. Even though they were quite, um, you know, uh, prevalent and you you could just purchase them. But still, um, the son of the cleric had to live up to the son of the cleric. And my cousins all came from family of clergymen. So, Mm. and. You you mentioned uh, girls in in that. What was that like? I rem- I do remember talking with you in our previous conversation, and that was kind of that was quite a, a hot topic. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, pun intended is actually a pun unintended. It's actually a pun 
on itself, yeah. <laughs> unintended. <laughs> um, uh, it's, uh, I mean, we had to start scheming, man. Like, you, we couldn't talk to girls. So our minds and souls were Muslim. Mm. You know, we, we were, you know, our being, our spirituality was raised uh, Muslim. But our bodies were agnostic, man. Our bodies <laughs> wanted fun, <laughs> you know. We we were just growing up, just turning into our teens and you start noticing the opposite sex, or in my case anyway, um, so, some some of the guys just starting noticing their friends, the other guys, and, you know, that was cool. Mm. Well... From from my point of view, it was cool, but not uh, <laughs> not to the uh, <laughs> regime. They had to keep it on the down low. No pun intended. Right. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and so so we'd start thinking of ways to be able to talk to girls without getting caught by mm. the cops because they didn't care if you were thirteen. They'd belt the head out of the, the hell out of you, and they they would beat you if you were talking. To oh a yeah, woman. man, they'd beat you hard, yeah, well. and then you'd go home and cop an even harder belting from your parents and go, oh, t- take me back to the police station, please. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they um yeah, man, my my face just looked like a Picasso painting. Just bang, bang, bang. My nose goes one way. My so we started thinking. Me and my cousins, we started thinking. All right, how do how do we do it? Because in Qom, there were these cops called Monkarat. Mm. I think it literally translates to against vice. And uh, they dress up very just like everyone else. In fact, they dressed up like thugs. Mm. You know, just, uh, you know, three buttons open, golden chains. And, and you know, they'd have their prayer beads, but they'd uh, just swivel them around their index finger and spin them around and chew gum and spit on the wall. And so you couldn't tell who they were. Mm. They blended in. And uh, on one occasion, though, <laughs> I went up, uh, I, I, we were outside this um, all uh, girls school and we were just trying to gawk at some girls and mind you they're covered from head to toe in black you mm. know so a girl would come in and I'd be like I'd, I'd see something and tell my cousin hey cuz look she just flashed me and you know <laughs> she just like opens her big black abaya just to reveal she's wearing jeans underneath you yeah, know right. <laughs> and that was uh, you know that was that was material for a week oh uh, that was amazing mm. more than a week really yeah because yeah, you could see the shape of her she had two legs you know it oh, wasn't just right. all yeah, yeah. the one blob under that black uh, hijab mm. and um so i saw i saw this um thug standing by the corner and i thought He's a thug. No, he can't be Monkarat. Look at him. He's got gel on his hair. Mm. American. He's got. He's wearing a. You know. He's got. He's got hairy chest and and chains. And look at him. And the the, the Monkarat, they'd spit on the wall. But if there was a slogan by the Ayatollah, the spiritual leader of Iran, Ayatollah Khomeini, mm. if there was something of of his saying sprawled on the wall, they wouldn't spit. On that wall, right. they'd spit on the side because they still, you know, mm. deep down, they were, they'd sworn their allegiance to that uh, man. So, um, but this guy, he spat on the wall where it had said, you know, it was one of the famous Ayatollah saying, America cannot do a darn thing to us, you know. And he spat, I'm like, oh, cool. Now nah, he's not, uh, he's not Monkarat. He's cool. So, 
So I'm just standing there waiting for the girls, and I look again, and something catches my eye, and I'm like, oh, shit, I better get out of here fast before I get arrested. So everything about him was a thug, except he had business socks on. (laughs) (laughs) And I I look down, and I'm like, this he ain't no thug, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's forgotten. He's forgotten to get well dressed, and I'm looking at his business, and I just bolted out of there. But we came up with different, different ways. Um, for instance, the the um, payphones mm. were segregated, so you had men only payphones and women only, but they were side by side. But women can only use one. So what we'd do, we'd put an out-of-order sign on the uh, female one. Mm. So now the girls have to use the male-only payphone. Mm. And then I'd line up, I'd go punch in my number, and, but not press dial, but hang up. Then I'd move to the side and just wait for a girl to come in, and I'd whisper, hit redial. <laughs> and then walk away and then she'd have my number come up on the screen and if uh she were inclined she'd give me a call because i because um dad was out at work Mum never picked up the phone being a female i was the man of the house i'd pick up the phone so i knew no one was going to pick up the phone except me mm. uh so um crafty very crafty. Didn't get a call, man. <laughs> didn't not get a, one. Not even one. We did it so many times. But not even from the thugging business sucks. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so we just tried to come up with different ways. You know, we, we'd knock on people's doors. There was an unwritten rule that if a girl came out wearing a red jumper, mm. she was willing. She was up for it. Right. Right. So we'd go knocking random, we'd go to a neighborhood far from ours so people don't suspect anything. And uh, we'd ask, uh, we'll, if, if someone opens the door that is not the girl in the red top, we'd just say, oh, we're looking for Mr. Rezae. This is like the equivalent of Smith, yeah. Mr. Smith. So we'd knock on the door and someone would open the door and you know, often it'd be like, oh, Mr. Rezae moved last week. Mr. Rezae lives <laughs> f- five doors up. Uh, you know, Mr. Rezae was martyred during the war. What the hell do you want? I'm Mr. Azai. You know? <laughs> so, um, but occasionally we'd get uh, get some girls who'd answer the door. But you know, there's always the male chaperone in the house, and mm. they'd they'd be on to us very quickly. But on one occasion, there was a girl. Uh, it was an area called Salaria. It was great. I, I, now I'm getting excited remembering it. She came out and she had a scarf, loose scarf kind of see a bit of her hair that was like amazing and she had a red jumper on and I was just stood there opposite her and I said um are you, are you up for it are you willing and she said I don't know I mean if you are and I shook her hands and then we made skin on skin contact and that was material for a month <laughs> <laughs> and um and that was great that yeah was, that was the height of eroticism you know for us mm. yeah we, we we just tried different ways man we the movies again movies you go to the cinema it's segregated so mm. we pretend to be members of a of a family uh like we'd we'd spot like three girls with their mum and dad mm. and we just pretend that we were with that family so we'd buy a ticket and go sit next to the girls but you know it was really difficult because 
if the father turned around and goes, which family are you with? Are you with the other family? And the other father goes, no, they're not with me. It was Picasso time. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> the thugs got to painting. That's right. One, once he was a, a, an un, not an undercover officer. He was an off-duty officer and at the movies. And he grabbed me by my ear, twisted it real hard. And he said, son... I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to sit next to my daughters and do all these things. Mm. First, I'm off duty. Second, it's my only day off. God damn it. Get the hell out of this this place. I don't want to see you again. And if I see you again, I'm going to smash your head in. And I want to look very reasonable in front of my family. I don't want to be seen bashing your head in. Mm. So get lost and if i ever see you again and i'm like thank you thank you thank you and i couldn't i went i went to the holy shrine and i prayed to god thank you so much for letting me like i got away with one mm. like that's getting away with murder that one because i could have been you know you they put you in jail for a day or two then your parents have to come and pay money and as i said then we'd get bashed up at home so much heavier we'd want to go back to jail it was yeah. just a a, a, a cycle, a vicious cycle that continued. But what are you going to do, man? What are you going to do? Mm. Not talk to girls? Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, I remember you telling me you came up with this uh, way of uh, you'd propose to women to create false marriages. Well, well see, in, in the uh, Shiite um, law, we have... You can have temporary marriage. And this is kind of another one of those loopholes for mm. morning Arab men. <laughs> that, uh, that, um, that basically says that, look, you can't have sex before marriage, right? But if you really want to have sex, you can get married temporarily. So it's kind of like a, a, a taxi meter. You just put the meter on and, mm. and, uh, and tell the woman... It's all you do exchange the vows. It's the same thing. You have a dowry, but you have to have and you know treat the woman with dignity, all that sort of stuff. But you also have to propose the time limit, mm. and it could go from, in my case, I would have just needed two minutes <laughs> to uh, you know to two years, whatever, even more. Yeah, well, uh, but it's temporary, and uh, and once the time expires, you be, it's annulled. So, so yeah, so we'd go to the um, holy shrine because where else are you going to pick up women? Yeah, then of course. Next to a, the big grand mosque. It's like revolver in Melbourne. <laughs> That's right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a spiritual revolver. Yeah. <laughs> and because, um, you know, they, they wouldn't suspect, you know, us to be doing that because, you know, you go, you kiss the door as you walk in, mm. you feign piety and you walk in. And, and actually we didn't feign it. Again, it was something we believed in and, uh, you know, it was – Something that we did, as I said, our beings were spiritual. It was just our bodies that were mm. going a little mental. And, Primitive. Um, and so we'd go, and there'd be all these women, but they'd be covered head to toe. So I'd yank at their garb and just, miss, miss, excuse me, miss, um, would you like some temporary marriage? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they turn around, one of them turned around and said, go away, I'm 67 years old. <laughs> you know, <laughs> get lost. <laughs> On uh, on one occasion, like you think, oh yeah, you know, how stupid do you have to be to keep persisting? On one occasion, one girl, she was I think 24, 25, 10 years older than me at the time, I think. Mm. Gorgeous. I mean, I couldn't see her, but like I could tell she was gorgeous from her dulcet voice. Right. And and I pulled and I yanked. I said, oh, Miss Miss, would you like some temporary marriage? And she said, 
She turned around and said, what if I say yes? And I froze. <laughs> I choked, man. I'm like, what? This is not supposed to happen. I'm supposed to get told off. And I just ran away. <laughs> I just ran. I just ran, bolted. With yeah. your tail between your legs. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and took that tail to... Uh, Back home. <laughs> yes, where you used your month's worth of uh, material right. from having your hand touched. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so while you're on this kind of, I guess, primitive kind of uh, phase of your life, um, and before you do eventually leave with your family to come to Australia, are you getting a sense of wanting to be a performer and an entertainer, or a writer, or a storyteller? Yeah, yeah. I... I I was always interested in stories and it was all thanks to my dad really. He mm. was he was an amazing storyteller. He'd always read us from a thousand and one nights and Khalil Dimna, another Arabic um story uh, they're, they're fables um with talking animals. Really famous in the Arab world and and he'd tell us a story every night but he'd leave it unfinished and then continue it the next night and start a new one, leave it unfinished, just like Shahrazad did in A Thousand One Nights. Mm. And, and he bought me my first ever book as well. And it was a story about this line in the jungle and how pride led to his downfall. And, then, and, and I still have that book with me. And oh, wow. it played a big role in my um, you know, creative career. And, and it, during summer, while you know, we tried to get, make some money, so we can, you know, buy, like I wanted to buy a pair of jeans to look like normal Iranians because I wore the white tishtasha, mm. easy giveaway that I was an Arab. Like, mom, why are you doing this to us? Yeah. Why? You know, <laughs> you know, you think you've got it hard here when, uh, you know, Armadale mums dress their twins in the same outfit. Mm. You know, why, why? You know, <laughs> we, uh, so we were dressed in tishtasha, just like, just a sign that just said, Hey, abuse me, you know, all you like. Just uh, bully me uh, till the cows come home. Mm. So I wanted just to buy a pair of jeans, but, you know, we couldn't really afford. It was really a luxury, those things were. So, you know, I got, got um, a job by the shrine, shining, polishing shoes, uh, selling chewing gum, selling cigarettes. How old were you? I did it till about, I was about 12, 11. Then right. things got better for us because dad came to Australia before us in 93. Mm. And then so then the dollar, the exchange rate, and, and suddenly we had a lot of money because we lived in a basement of a house, all of us. Oh, wow. And, um, and so uh, you were probably, what, like nine, ten when you started That's doing right. That. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was cool because that's what we wanted to do. But then I, I used that money to um, enroll in summer classes. Now, there were Quran classes, there were religious classes, there were even computer classes popping up with these big computers which I was kind of interested in all of them. But then I was walking past this, the summer school and I heard the sound of a, a piano. And in Qom, it was illegal, like music was, was illegal, it was banned. Mm. So I'm like, Who, who's got this contraband through? Like, what is that? Is that, is that t- coming from TV? And I opened the door and there was a guy playing on a keyboard. And it, I was hooked. It, one way, I was like, this is a scene. In another, it was beautiful scene. Mm. And there was another guy. And he said to me, come in. And I said, I don't think I should be. He said, no, just come in. And then he said, do you like this? I said, I kind of do, but I don't think I'm meant to. And he said, well, you know, music is part of life. It's great. 
And I said, and then he said, do you have a request? And there were these cartoons that we used to watch. Mm. And I asked him to play it. And in fact, we used to watch dubbed version of uh, Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the, that was my first introduction to Australia, actually. Mm. Uh, so I said, can you play Skippy? And then he went, he started playing it. And I was like, whoa, man, this guy is amazing. And and he said, do you, do you like stories? And I said, I love stories. I always, I love to read. I used to read, you know, all day, really. Just, uh, I'd go to the news agency and I'd offer him, I'd to, to help him sell, move some papers in exchange to be able to read um, books for free. Mm. And um, yeah, the, 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 the other man, Abbas Ali Arzuman, he said, I've got the opening of a story for you. Mm. So there's a shepherd who gets, um, who's got, you know, he's herding his sheep. He goes to the mountains and he gets lost. Continue the story. Finish, finish the story. And I went home. I, I wrote the, the, the story and, you know, he helped me edit it. And we submitted it, and then it won uh, the prize in my city. Wow! And it was published in a uh, magazine, in a children children's literary magazine. Mm. And I, I was so hooked from then on. And then he said that, um, "Do you like performing as well? I've got this play coming up." And it was all like sin, 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 but you know, <laughs> but really cool stuff. And and so he became my mentor and became my first teacher. Mm. And and my dad again bless his soul he was all up for it and he started funding uh these classes and and said if you enjoy them you know do them and and um and i kept enjoying them then went on stage started performing i got my first role playing the wind and i was so excited it was like a two minute role yeah but i was it's not a like a, a a school play it was on on a on a stage yeah yeah and so people would ask me, so what's this play about? I'm like, well, it's about this wind. <laughs> <laughs> that there's a main character who passes. I pass the main character. So, mm. sorry. Um, is there other, are there other things that you can do? Okay, well, hold on. Hold that thought. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so you were t- telling me about this um, experience that you had. Um, your dad started funding your endeavors. Yeah, uh, are we going to pretend what happened didn't happen? Or? Yeah, and I'll cut it out. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll pretend. Let's yeah. not pretend. Let's tell the listeners what's really going All on. Because right. <laughs> <laughs> you still haven't set up that amazing podcast uh, uh you know, paraphernalia. And uh, so what happens is we've got the cleaners vacuuming yeah. <laughs> one, or wanting to vacuum. And I can't believe they actually trumped your ass, man. They're like, yeah. we're going to vacuum. Get the hell out of here. And you just... Well, what can I do? <laughs> what can I do? I am a servant in my father's house. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope you don't cut any of this stuff out. It's great. This is what adds spice to this. Honestly, this is so much better than just sitting in a room and doing a one-hour straight. It's true. It's just nice. Well, we're now in our third 
uh, room <laughs> yeah. of this podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but it's seamless, man. It's yeah. seamless. Things the moving. power of editing, although it, it actually sounds a lot better in here than it did in the other room. So, Right. Well, let's redo the whole thing again. Yeah, we'll go from right. the beginning. I'll go back to the poem. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Australia gave us home. Um, yeah, so my dad was uh, yeah funding uh, you know the creative endeavors, as you said, and it was great because that was my introduction to it. And I did a, eventually did a film, a telly movie, uh, which was on national TV mm. at the age of twelve. But by then, dad had already come to Australia. He came. In 93 and then 94, and we didn't know, but he had applied for us uh, to to come to Australia as refugees. Um, he knew I had a big mouth, so <laughs> um, he didn't want anybody, you know, to know because then anything could happen. You know, we were still Iraqis, stateless in Iran, and then we got approved in 95. And uh, it was sad because, again, I didn't know anything about Australia except Skippy. Mm. And and so I was like, okay, cool, I'd get to meet a kangaroo. But I, you know, I just started this life of show business, man, the glamour of it all, you know. (laughs) And I went to the capital city, went to Tehran. That Mm. was big, you know, for for a kid living in Abadan, then in Qom, going to Tehran with, you know, 15 million people at the time. In mm. it. It's crazy. It was, you know, um, I was just dazzled by the lights and the, the uh, how crowded everywhere was and the pollution. Everything was just, even the pollution was cool. You know, yeah, it was yeah. like, whoa, <laughs> man, so polluted. And, uh, yeah, again, Dad allowed me to go to Tehran to uh, shoot a film. And then halfway through, our visas came through. And we were asked to um, do final health test. And that's when I knew we were leaving to Australia because Dad couldn't keep it under wraps anymore. He's like, we're going to Tehran. Why are we going to the capital, Dad? Uh, We're going to do some medical tests. Why, 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 why? Anyway, we get there and these people speaking gibberish mm. you know all these signs in another language and a flag which i only recognized a part of it i recognized the england part of it and like hmm, i'm pretty sure that's the flag of england i've seen in the world cup mm. but the stars and that blue i don't know what, what where could that be and then you know eventually i worked out that we're going to uh another continent on the other side of the world. Mm. Um, so I started doing, I hit the, the, the mental gym, the library, and started doing my research. But of course, you know, nothing was reliable, man. It, in, in, in one book it said, um, Australia is ruled by a, a female king. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> like it didn't even say queen, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and ruled by, and... Uh, so much so that her picture is on their money and on their walls and, you know, and it had examples of the $5 note. and But it was, yeah, all unreliable. It, it was a- almost, you know, conjecture because mm. it's like they went, what could Australia look like? You know, and they've gone, okay, there's some convicts that built the place. How would it look like? Or Australians hunted 
Aboriginal people, and they still do, and that the Aboriginal people, when they get the white Australians, they eat them. You know, it was right. just all this <laughs> stuff that was, you know, I mean, part part of it, you know, the, the you know, we all know what the, you know, the colonizers did to the indigenous people. Mm. Uh, so that was true, and um, and then it talked about the Sydney Opera House and it having a, you know, looking like the the top of a rooster and that stupid white place that wants to be a wonder of the world. It was just <laughs> all very contemptuous, I can say. Right, nothing but contempt. And yeah, everybody had a kangaroo in the backyard. That was, of course, uh, that was another one where you know. I think everywhere else, uh, every other nation thinks that about Australia anyway, mm. so it wasn't just limited. Certainly everywhere I've been. Yeah, yeah, it's that. not limited to Iran. Do you remember what it was like when you were um, when you were on the plane coming to Australia? Did you, did you come by plane? Sorry to ask a seemingly obvious question. No, no, that no, it, it, we, we did. Yeah, we came in planes, yous came in chains. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we came by plane and... Funny you mention that because. So, yeah, so this is my first ever experience uh, on an airplane. All mm. the other airplanes till date I'd seen were warplanes. So this was really weird. I went to the airport and suddenly they don't have any bombs attached to their wings. It was really weird. It was bizarre. And living in Qom, there were no airplanes going overhead anyway. So seeing these big jumbo jets we're gonna get on one we're gonna travel all the way to australia so uh this is called the air angel and me Hmm. and uh after you pass the uh iranian airspace they're allowed to start serving alcohol right before the air angel serves me it's another man's turn their drinks they're yellow and fizzy and frothy I've never seen such drinks. People are reaching for the drinks like it's the last drink they'll have. The sound of the glasses chink chink, like the Hollywood movies. Is it alcohol? It is. But it's forbidden. How can something so delicious looking be forbidden? It looks so good. But I should refrain from feeling this way. Dad is so calm. Why is he grinning? My head is spinning from this madness. At the airport, we almost got killed for being Arabs. How can people on the same kite change piousness within hours? But the frothy drinks look so good. They're golden. There's a white drink with bubbles. There's a red drink in a fancy glass. Fancy people drink the fancy drink and continue to chink chink. Pork, bacon, ham. Is everyone insane? We're we're signing up for hell. The air angel serves drinks and pig and what next? Uncensored films? Terminator. These Americans look beautiful. My brother watches Uncensored Terminator on his screen. I want to peek, especially when they kiss on the mouth. On the mouth! I look around at the sinners. They're having so much fun. I notice women have soft skin and so much flowing hair. I can see hair. Wow! I love this kite. I don't care. I paid my insurance. I'll repent later. The smiling angels... Continue to push trays. It's my turn, boy. The sixth angel stands by my side. I grin, shuffle about like a court sardine, but happy. She serves me a smile. 
I know her trick. She wants me to faint, tricky, tricky angel. She serves me juice, but her lipstick red. The most beautiful, indescribable red in my mind. I'm rolling from a red hill. I'm bathing in red paint, wet red paint. I snowball and drown in a thick crimson red river. The air angels hands me an empty cup. Hands me, I mean, her hand touches my hand. Skin tingles, sinful tingles. I brush her hand two seconds longer. Her eyes, caramel brown eyes, hair sky black, sleek in a bun. She bends forward to open my tray. Her perfume is edible. Her hair so long it'd take me a million flights to appreciate it. She pauses. I'm pretty sure on purpose. She likes me. I like her. Breast right in my face. I have to look away. Look away now. I can't look away. I have to look away. One peek. One innocent peek. No, look away. One more peek. Two more innocent peeks. She pours orange juice. But I'm drowning in red. It's God's fault. His fault. Her face. Her hair. Her lips. But her breasts. Move them out of here. Oh, no. Don't do it, angel. You're killing me. Molecules are fighting to gush from my body. I'm still a red snowball bathing in red paint. No, hold it. No, wait. Boy, oh, boy, oh. Shit. The snowball explodes. Sin. <laughs> did you? When did you write that? I wrote that a few years ago. It was supposed to be part of my book, but right. um, uh, we ended up going with narrative on it. But it was when we first arrived, I wrote a version of it in Persian. Wow. Uh, it was so... You know, very visceral experience. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you, de- you know, it's almost like uh, the orgasm that you wanted to have, but you don't want to have that mm. you're not allowed to have that, you know, it's all that. And lucky that, that the food tray was over my lap. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so when you arrive in Australia, there's obviously a lot of uh, differences culturally between being in uh in, in Melbourne and being um, in Iran. It's a different because, you know, I grew up with the Iran, Iranian and Iraqi culture. Mm. And uh, and we didn't speak English. Like, when you, you arrived know, in yeah, Australia? Yeah, nothing. Right. I just had learned the alphabet. And this is how much English I knew. I In the airport, so there were all these white people. And, you know, they've got blonde hair and blue eyes and they look crazy, you know, and they're talking in gibberish and it's like... And, you know, the Australian customs, they've just got guns. They don't have machine guns. They don't have AK-47. That's weird. (laughs) Why aren't their police well armed, you know? And and, uh, and I'm looking, just trying to find a a sign of comfort, something to comfort me. You know, there was the luggage sign. Good, I understand what that means. That's bags. That's that's an international sign. Um, You know, the toilet, the toilet sign, that was okay because I'd seen WC in movies and I kind of knew what that is. And then I read a sign and I got excited because I could actually piece the alphabet together and actually be able to pronounce it. Mm. So I pulled at my dad's garb and he was in his religious mantle dress. And I said, dad, 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 I'm pulling at his abaya. And he said, yes, son. I'm like, dad, look, I can read. I can read that sign over there. And and, uh, it says taxi. Look, look, taxi. And he goes, taxi, where's the, 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 the taxi sign? They should, like, what are you talking about? 
And I'm like, over there, look, t- taxi. And he looked and he's like, that says exit. You're reading it right to left like it's Arabic, <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, they read backwards. The English are backwards here. Mm. Okay. So uh, I ended up being a backward person uh, <laughs> just <laughs> to uh, assimilate. And now you write backwards. And I write backwards. So, so that was kind of the beginning of it. And then, of course, I saw a woman in jeans. That was my first, the first time that a woman wasn't wearing a dress or hijab. Mm. So again, I said, Dad, Dad, she's wearing jeans, man, like a man. And he said, yes, son, relax. There's going to be a lot of women who wear jeans. There's got to be a lot of taxi signs, a lot of exit signs, a lot of <laughs> just uh, just relax, you know, calm down. And it, and it wasn't like his English was great. Mm. You know, he um, he filled up the, the, the landing. When you land the paper, the, the green card, and it said, uh, it had questions like, are you uh, going to stay in Australia for the next 12 months? permanently and we had permanent residencies right and he didn't tick yes or no he wrote inshallah and inshallah means god willing and it's a it's a it's a term that we use all the time and it's very handy because it means god willing so it can actually get you out of trouble like if you you say hey osama you want to come uh to do another podcast with me i say inshallah <laughs> god willing <laughs> So I'll come unless there's some God-made disaster, mm. which, um, so basically if I don't come, I can just go, well, God, you know, you know how it is. Just some God's fault. God's fault. He, yeah. he made something, something came up that was really urgent. And, and uh, so, so it's interchangeable, but, um, but it also genuinely means, look, you know, we'll see. But God, mm. God, God knows. And so they brought all these guys and they're saying, dude, you got to tick yes. Either, if you tick no, then we'll put you back on a plane. You got to tick yes. He said, my dad's, but he was adamant and he was a philosopher. He's a really calm man, mm. full of wisdom. He said, I can't say yes because I don't know for sure if I'm going to be here <laughs> for the next 12 months. And they said, but no, but you have... What do you mean you don't know for sure? Don't you have visas for two years? He said, yeah, we have visas for two years. If that is the question, then I'll take yes. But am I going to stay in Australia for the next 12 months? I don't know. Inshallah, God willing, I will. <laughs> and they were like, but come on. He's like, look, I grew up in Iraq. I thought I'd live all my life in Iraq. Then what happened? Saddam Hussein happened. I was imprisoned. I escaped jail. I went to Iran. Then I thought I'm going to be living in Iran for the rest of my life. Then what happened? The war happened. Then I came to Australia. So now you're asking me a question. Am I going to stay here? I don't know because we don't know. And they're like, right. So we'll just amend that to a yes then. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, some of his questions like, have you ever been convicted of a, of a crime and served time jail? It's like, yes, many times. <laughs> you know, they're like, what? Then he, has, uh, ex- then he had to explain that it was, you know, Saddam Hussein, he was a political prisoner. And in fact, that's why he's in Australia. Mm. Because, you know, ha- have you brought in, uh, like, have you brought in alcohol? Heaven forbid. No, we do not touch the alcohol, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and there was a question, uh, have you brought in or been in contact with animals? And he wrote, yes, many animals. So now they, they're searching through our bags and, and our luggage trying to look for these animals. 
And he's like, where are these animals? And I thought he meant us, the family, like, you know, because that was an in-joke that we're all mules and yeah. donkeys and <laughs> giraffes. And I was a two-legged goat. Right. Um, you know, we all had names. But that's not what he meant. So he's like, this English language, so hard. He takes out a can of tuna and canned salmon. He's like, now... Fish in English is animal, yes? <laughs> so we had a long way to go. but mm. uh, And that's the thing, you know, we expect people to come here and integrate and assimilate almost immediately and we fume when they don't. We're furious. Why don't they? Why don't they just, you know, chuck a barbie and, you know, start drinking frothies. Why can't they, you know? It's really like, you know, if you imagine a Bob and Jane from Wodonga and suddenly a war breaks out in Australia and you have to uproot to Iran mm. and you go into a town in Iran and you have to not only speak, start learning Persian, but assimilate into their culture and, and everything else, you know. How, like, how easy would it be can, can, you know and would bob be your uncle <laughs> you know is it gonna be that it's not simple it's yeah so it just needs it needs time but it took its time and we had our mishaps mm. um particularly in the first couple of years when i was learning the language and it was just getting increasingly frustrating because one thing you say one thing you mean something else one girl told me in class I had a massive crush on her and, and she said, I said, oh, can we, can we talk? And I really wanted to have a smoothie with her at, at some point in, in during the school period. And, and she said, look, just give me a ring. <laughs> <laughs> and I melted. I melted. I uh, went to cash converters <laughs> like an absolute idiot, bought a ring made a fool out of myself in front of the class and, and went a little I, bit too f quick yeah, yeah because you know with us uh, uh we get married you thought it was a temporary marriage <laughs> that's proposal. right that's right exactly <laughs> that's right i was like whoa the girls proposed to you here isn't yeah. that great <laughs> and and i got stitched up by one of the other students as well he always stitched me up with stuff like that wait so what happened when you gave her the ring I pro pro she said no no she just looked and and I ha I wrote her a poem as well and it, I can't remember it but it I just learned the word some words like um shrine and I I learned the word what brine meant and I was desperate to rhyme them <laughs> so I so I wrote that you know my heart is like a a can of tuna and and, you, you know, you're inside it like the brine, but I'll build you a shrine with it. You know, like that kind of thing. Very rudimentary, you know, 14-year-old poem. Mm. And I said, what? You didn't like it? She's like, what, your tuna poem? I, I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's fishy, you know. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I proposed, man. I proposed in front of some of the other kids. And they were laughing. They all knew what it meant. I, I, I... I was too too much too invested to actually realize. But the other kids, you know, we were all in language school, so they, they didn't exactly know what's going on, but they mm. kind of knew that, 
man, you've got some repressed girl issues, my friend, because girls not going to say, give me a ring to, for, for marriage, you know, uh, particularly not to a 14-year-old doofus, you mm. know. You said there was some other guys that would stitch you up as well a bit. Uh, all the time. They'd tell me to say things to the teacher, just like, just juvenile stuff, sir. Move your ass, you know, and I'd say it in the teacher straight to the principal's office. Right. You know, they once made me blow up a condom saying it's a balloon. Right. They said, look, these balloons, they're great. They're all colorful. I'm like, hmm, strawberry. Hmm. This is. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, you blow them up. I'm like, why are they in these aluminium foils, though? Why? They're like, yeah. They're, and I honestly, I just had to, that's where I was at, you know. Mm. Very uh, late bloomer. I don't even know if I've bloomed, actually. <laughs> let's, let's face you it. You are in the process of blooming <laughs> right, right now. That's right, exactly. As we do this podcast. <laughs> that's right, exactly. And so, yeah, uh, all this stuff, like the teacher said, Osama, I'll give you a one-week window to do this project. And the guy said, she wants a window, man. She wants a window. She wants an open window. And I go to try to go to... Um, Bunnings and sort out a window like really crazy <laughs> only to realize no a one week window doesn't mean get a window in one week you know or she said you know this stuff's gonna be a walk in the park for you and, and I'm like does she mean I have to walk in the park whilst I do my homework I was confused metaphors are strange things yeah yeah and and because we were just translating literal words mm. and this happened as well but this didn't happen to me and this is not one of those things where you go to the shrink and go I've got a friend who this happened to, because sure. I'd happily I'd happily We'll say, make that assessment at the end of the story. <laughs> no, because it's so silly. It's not even, I've told you about blowing condoms for balloons, man. Um, and orgasming in an aeroplane. No, it was... Uh, uh, so uh, my cousin received a, uh, uh, a fine mm. uh, from the courts. And it said, fine, a penalty, $247. So we didn't know what, what was going on. We had no idea what the hell is this. So we consult the dictionary. Fine. Fine means good. Means great. Means happy. Means jovial. Penalty. We opened consult the Arabic dictionary again. It is a spot kick taken during a soccer match. Okay, so that is <laughs> so that is a, a penalty. So do they want us to take a spot kick? <laughs> So then everything will be fine and they'll give us money. Yeah. And then at the bottom said, you know, we pick words, right? And now I know what those things say. It says, you know, if you want to nominate another driver, you've got to put referees. So then we see a referee and we're like, that's it, man. They're talking about soccer, you know. And um, yeah, so we rocked up. We rocked up to the courts in our, in our uh, trainers and... <laughs> And um, swiftly booted, I may say, we mm. were, and, and I, I, I was like, no, I got this paper, it said take a penalty kick, and this, and it's like, because we had a ball in our hand, and, and the guy, the security was like, what are you guys doing in the magistrate's court? Mm. And then he read it, he thought like it was a candid camera or something, and our English wasn't good, and we were just yelling, and... And we naturally appear to be yelling anyway. Arabs are loud and, you know, like, Muhammad And all we're doing is just saying, man, you know, we, you know, we, 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 wanna, we want peace. We want freedom, mm. <laughs> you know. And then we got kicked out. Then we realized that what penalty meant was that he had to 
cough up 247 bucks. <laughs> so you could imagine the elation and then just absolute, you know, the, devastation. The, the devastation was. Yeah. Um, thought you were going to be World Cup winning oh, soccer man. players. Oh, we thought everything. So, you know, I applied for a job, said bring two referees. I named Mohsin Yasina, an old referee I used to know in Iran. <laughs> like, I'm like, I swear he's good. He never fixed a match. He never yeah. took kickbacks, <laughs> you know. Always and I remember it down this, the line. There was, and it was, um, I remember, still remember her. It was Cole's work experience. And the Cole's lady, she just looked, she just looked at me like I had my, my eyes crossed. <laughs> like, so you're telling me that your referee is an actual referee? mm who you're saying never took kickbacks? You know? I'm like, yeah, it's a, he's a real. Re- you want a real referee, don't you? Or do you want a fake referee? Like, I don't understand. He said two referees, one of them, Yasin, who's <laughs> the best. <laughs> it's an interesting point that you kind of raised there in terms of uh, work and stuff. I, I I hate to glaze over the kind of school life and all that, but I feel like there's so there's so much to talk about. Uh, with you um, and one of the things that I am really interested in exploring is how you know you we, we, we talked about at the beginning you know you, you you're having this great success now in your life with um with your your book and the film that's going to be coming out soon Ali's wedding um, and you know you're working very consistently in uh, in the entertainment industry but and as we mentioned when we met we were working at Luna Park that's together. right yeah um, yeah how have you managed to kind of find that balance uh, between working, earning money and, and kind of fostering your creativity um, through that time kind of up to the last few years? I mean, it's the old cliche of sacrifices, right? It's uh, you have to, if you really want something, I think, you know, it's like we say, oh, tomorrow I'm going to start exercising i'm gonna go to the gym i'm gonna start swimming Mm. and you don't do it and why you don't do it is not just because you're lazy because it's not a priority you don't really want to do it Mm. let's face it not many of us want to do that it's just something we need we have to do so but if when you really deep down want something you you go for it like you know you you you're going to England. You want to do it. You're going. You, you don't care. You grabbed a one-way ticket, boom, you're out of there. So I knew that, you know, you, you can't expect to things fall in, on your lap. You need luck. And I, I, and I will say that I've been very lucky. I, I, I met some amazing people, including Tony Ayers, who really um, helped me and became a, a mentor and a friend throughout the process. And also, you know, the definition of luck that I like is when uh, uh, opportunity opportunity, uh, meets uh, preparation. So you really got to be prepared for it. And, you know, I'd be working in 7-Eleven and, but I never, I never used to go, oh, I'm only earning 10 bucks an hour while mopping floors at 2 a.m., I, I'm like, okay, it's great. It's 2 a.m. It means I'm only getting five people in an hour, if that. Mm. So I can read. And so I'd read books. I'd, I'd bring, take my laptop and, and watch, you know, talks and films. And, and, and 
like even now I look back and I'm like, I don't think I'd have the the ability or the tenacity or any of that to be able to read that much. Like I went through a period where I was studying a lot. Like, you know, my my room had papers strewn all over, where, whether it was a TV concept I'd come up with or mm. I was writing spec scripts. I was I was writing nonstop. I'd be writing six, seven hours a day. And, you know, English is not my first language, so I really had to hone that skill. And uh, so I had to work even uh, probably a little bit harder just to start getting everything right so that uh, grammar is not problem my. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and so I can, you know, start structuring a story. So I started by reading a few books and I got really excited and it was something I wanted to do. So I knew it was temporary. I knew the, the work... And then I thought, well, even if it's not temporary, as long as I can really truly do what I want to do and, and, and be happy with it, and I was really happy. Now, I'll say this, though. It did cost me a marriage. Right. So, so it, it, you know, so, you know, Ali's wedding is, is based around the time where I had to fake a uni degree mm. and I was also married, arranged to be married and I got married for an hour and 40 minutes and I bolted. Right. Uh, so that's the kind of story there. But I went to be with a person who I loved and I was with her for over a decade and we've got two kids together now. But uh, we separated and we separated because um, I... the the Yeah, it's really funny because, you know, in a way our work is kind of narcissistic. It's kind of... You have to have a bit of that, I think, to be able to... Because, well, first of all, you have to love yourself to be able to love other people. If you mm. if you don't love yourself, how can you give love to other people? It means you don't... But this is more than loving yourself. This is actually about really being absorbed, self-absorbed. And for a period, I was really self-absorbed. And it's hard to come out of that because you're at your most creative and at your best when you're like that. And so, so yeah, so there was no real balance. Al. Like, you know, there's no real, I don't think there is such a thing as a balance. You're always giving up one thing for another. Mm. You know, you're a gambling addict, you give it up, you're going to be addicted to something else. You mm. know, uh, yeah, the lesser of the evil, but it's still, you know, something that'll you know um sway the tide i suppose it's uh it, it's a um yeah it's a it's a difficult one i guess it i guess it comes back to almost like what you're saying what you're talking about in there when you touch on the the notion of loving yourself and loving other people it's really on one level it's about this kind of mission or this purpose that you feel that you have as a creative individual to express yourself or to connect people or to share whatever it is with the world and you know you and I have come from vastly different upbringings and backgrounds and yet we kind of intersect at this point of creativity I suppose I wonder in a kind of bigger picture idea what do you kind of think is 
the, your mission or the meaning of your life or um or whatever that may be from from your kind of point of view yeah i think uh, yeah we we i think we collide uh, and intersect on more than entertainment i think i uh, or, or the the art field what it is is for me, I like to tell universal stories mm-hmm. and like other storytellers and, and, and good stories are always universal because they're so specific mm. and, and that makes them accessible. You know, they're not vague. They're not just a general wash of oh, what love might be or what be- a sense of belonging might be. Because, yes, my interpretation of belonging somewhere is different to yours, mm-hmm. but you still... Fight for your identity of who you are in this world, where you belong, what it means. Like, what does it mean to be an Australian? What does it mean for you to be an entertainer? Every person will have a different reaction to it, but it's all going to be valid. Mm. And that makes it universal. Makes it... And and that's... Uh, and, you know, because at the end of the day, man, we're all human. I, I, no matter where I've traveled... I've communicated with people when I haven't spoken their language or 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 have haven't learned anything about their culture. We get along, mm. and and uh, without the murky filter of politics, and uh, and it's and that's those are the kind of stories I like to tell. Now, what is my purpose, man? That is the old. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that's the you know, oldest question in a book, which I think, you know, I reckon probably before I blink my last blink, I'll go, oh, so that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Goodbye. Do you feel do you feel guided, I suppose, by your religious upbringing or is that more uh, is that more kind of just part of your identity? Is it something that you regard like do you regard yourself as being? religious in a kind of bigger picture sense or is it more that it's just part of your tradition and part of your fabric the fabric of your makeup right it's a bit of both because i was born into a muslim family uh, if i was born into a jewish family i'd be jewish yeah uh, let's face it that, that's uh, it was Cold the, heart uh, fact. that's right and it's the card that i was dealt with that i had brown skin so that was my lottery ticket mm. it's like all right you've got the shit numbers um <laughs> and then you really gotta have to you know work around it and 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 part of it is that part of it is that i just grew up like this but another part of it is what i make with that what i create with that mm. you know uh okay so i was given the name osama then osama turns out to be the you know the most wanted man in the world the most loathed guy after hitler arguably you mm. know in the to the west and you know i start thinking about changing my name do i want to be associated with osama bin laden but then you know, I start using it. I start opening my stand-up comedy with, Hi guys, my name's Osama and I barrack for the bombers. <laughs> and, you know... Is that true? It's true. Yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> and in my pocket, I've got a membership card that says, Osama, proud bomber. You know? Um, <laughs> and that's the truth because when we, we arrived, Dad, I told you before that he came in 93, mm. the, years, the year the bombers won the flag. Right. So... Uh, I think it was 97, 98, we gathered and like, okay, time to choose a football team. And dad said, guys, no other better team for us Muslims than the Bombers. I tell you, (laughs) don't repeat it anywhere, but very good team. And who else are we going to barrack for? 
God forbid the demons, <laughs> of course, or, or kangaroos and ducks and geese. No, we will go for what we were meant to. <laughs> and it is not a coincidence. The year I arrived in Australia, the mighty bombers bombed away all the other teams. And, um, and yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, it's what you do with it as well. And uh, yeah, you can't be bitter about everything. Because then, you know, you're not going to be happy. Mm. And I'm happiest when I feel like I'm making other people happy, when other people are laughing, when other people are having a good time. Because you want to give hope to people. You want to give them a, a, a sense of... Because we're always struggling, man. Mm. But but the the human endeavor against that struggle is a mighty force. And so we... so. You know, with all the terrible news that we hear coming out and, you know, and, you know, part of me, of course, still lives and breathes Iraq and Iran and, uh, and I hate what's happening to that part of the world. Uh, and at the same time, when I sleep, I want to sleep with hope. Mm. So I find, you know, uh, telling stories, whether it's uh, through my acting or through my writing or through spoken word or a- any other medium. Is a way, you know, it's and that old ancient, you know, art of storytelling, man, around campfires. And mm. you and I are conduits of this art form. And we pass on the baton to the next storytellers. And, you know, there's millions of us. And praise God, there are that many because, you know, we, we're only up against 10 politicians and we're losing. So mm. <laughs> the same way that a, a doctor heals your body, you know. Stories heal the mind and the soul. So, mm. you know, I, I just gave myself an honorary uh, doctorate there. Right. Uh, just uh, <laughs> very casually. See, the, that fortune teller was right. I did become a doctor. You did. Doctor of the soul. Doctor of the soul. <laughs> that sounds so wanky. Doctor <laughs> soul. No, I don't want it. <laughs> and I think to kind of underline your point, all of these religions and all the beliefs and belief systems and frameworks and whatever, they all intersect at that point of love and joy and happiness and, and wanting ultimately peace. Um, perhaps some people misinterpret and take things, as we discussed before, either extremist left or extremist right or whatever that may be. But I think the, uh, the underpinning philosophically of it all is, um, is that kind of love and peace and harmony and happiness. Yeah, that's right, the pursuit of happiness and to, to live and make sense of your life without it just... Because it's going to go by so quick, it does. Mm. And just making sense of it and just being, you know, just living it rather than thinking it, you know, just living and breathing it. And, you know, like, it's that... Uh, well, I've got, I've got this uh, final uh, poem for you, which is slightly more political, but, um, you mm. know, just to give you a different... Uh, flavor of 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 uh you know like you're saying how i see the world uh this is an abridged version of a much longer poem that i wrote it's um you know growing up in a war i i uh, i also turn on the tv and i see these syrian kids and i can't help but see part of me in that kid mm. and go man you know, we we talk about stopping boats and this and that, and and he go, but but no, but these kids, 
I just like your kids. And like you, you were a kid once. Mm. And, you know, they don't deserve to be in that situation. So this is following uh, another war, which uh, it was the, um, I think, 2014. I'm tired. Man, I'm tired. Woman, I'm tired. Hearing this shot, that bomb, those rockets were fired at children. They'll grow up to be terrorists, so it's required. P.S. I am here to chant slogans and be didactic. Subtlety is not my tactic. War is absurd, even for me, the grandson of a fighting Kurd. From the comfort of my free world I watch, how very few leaders nor the UN say much. And still, the drip drop of children's blood softly dampens the land, and we watch it all unfold live and on demand. So, who is the person who casually dogs a land loaded with souls? Souls who love, eat, love to eat, and pray, and flirt. Who is the soldier who pulls the trigger on a Palestinian boy wearing a stripy red, yes, counterfeit, Tommy Hilfiger t-shirt? I grew up in the war, and I got used to seeing the sky in Technicolor. I watched men arm themselves from dad to the grouchy, green-eyed, one-and-a-half-legged hat seller. And the sound of mortar shells became music to our ears, and mothers formed a ring of hugs in bunkers to assuage our fears. So is it too much? Is it too much to ask a soldier not to hunt a breastfeeding child? The first ever book Dad bought me was called The Jungle, and it told tales deliriously wild. But then the war stopped, and the stories turned mild. The smell of sirens ended, and I grew up, and maturely swapped tequila shooters for my playset spoons and teacup. Cut to today. I read how with Vaseline ease, the newspapers herald more death, faster than limbs getting dislodged in Shakespeare's bloody Macbeth. Though whilst I'm still on a roll, I must admit a pain in my ass. it's taken a toll. I don't think the newspapers are fucking me using Vaseline at all. And so now I realise I'm but an animal in the jungle and the fucking books were all lies. Because I watched, aged eight, as they hung two young brothers in the town square accusing them of being spies. And I ask my creator, O oh God, answer me this. Why does my Melbourne differ from their sky? And why do I get heating and cooling and iced tea and a $75 parking fine whilst infants die? Why do I mourn the bread not being fresh, fresh whole meal or rye when the dogs of war shoot the local baker claiming he was a bad guy? Why does a sniper sit on a rooftop hiding in a hole, ready to make eternal the sunset of a seven-year-old girl this fall? The honey-eyed girl with golden plaits and a tiny birthmark on her right cheek, the locals interpret as a paradise mole. Why does he wish to end the wonderful, wondrous relationship she has with her pomegranate pink doll? 
the one she calls her bestest friend, Barbie. And above all, why is he keen to make of the toy a forever lonely soul? And a cute dog gets a galaxy of comments on Facebook. Little did I realize when I clicked like, its owner was a 12-year-old boy named Ali Haruk, who got shot. And the army says the world should stop sucking the whole lot. Is it too much to allow an olive and mud-coloured kid to play soccer on the sand? Is it too much, my callow brother soldier, not to obey your unripe command? I wish we didn't paint the sky with death. I'm, seeing, I'm sick of being fed the colour red. I wish we looted some of Sydney's New Year fireworks stockpile instead. And Jews and Muslims could lie side by side by the sea and witness magic between them flourish and wed. The magic of living, being, seeing, smelling the perfume of the shy Jewish girl and the naughty one. There is so much joy in noticing the unhurt droplet on a rose after the rain stops kissing the ground from above. And so fulfilling, feeling the drip of sweat slowly spring out of your lover's breast after making love. I still wish. Wishes are our butterflies. They turn and spiral and become dreams. And dreams are trees which take in the sediment of hatred and breathe back love. And we have nothing but this one beautiful life. And so I wish on Cupid's knife we planted flowers instead of landmines and gave them to each other on St. Valentine's or Mother's Day or Secret Lover's Day. I wish we didn't use the words, Oh, it's just the price of war. That just opens the door to the jungle. Welcome to the devil's horns, where we cannot plant flowers anymore. By the time we stopped this vicious flow, our jungle soil would be so hardened that from its murderous surface, no flower would desire to grow. And we will just raise thorns. Our children will be thorns. Wow, man. That's amazing. Really, uh, hmm, great, great stuff, man. Where can um, where can people out there in the uh, in the world find your find your writing and find your um, find your stuff? Well, I I have a, a blog. It's a kind of a social political commentary through prose and poetry, mm. and uh, osamasami dot com on my website. People can get your book there as they well. They can get my book, yeah, Good Muslim Boy, signed copies. Um, and, and yeah, and, and I, you know, I, I write some, you know, whether they're opinion pieces on, on events that happen or just, uh, you know, you, you, you're doing this, you know, you've got your podcasts and you've got your own, the way you see the world and how then it reflects on you and how you reflected back. Mm. And you've used this medium. You've, you're obviously a, a, a wonderful filmmaker as well. So you Thanks, know, man. so so you've got those tools, right? And we all do with our own tools. And one of my tools is the keyboard. And and I think staying silent is is the is the bit that I don't like. When mm. when you see injustice happen and you just stay quiet. I mean, yes, maybe we can't do much. Okay, maybe. I can give 20 bucks to the Salvos or 20 bucks to the Red Cross and then I can feel good about it. 
maybe I can write a poem and feel good about it. But at least it's something, you know. It's better than going, oh, but it's not, why should I care? You know, yeah. well, it's, it doesn't affect me. It's not, because we're all one. We're all part, part of the one being, really, ultimately. So yes, yeah, so it's mainly on on the on the blog, and also I've got a, a few uh, books coming out. The th- three, one of them will be this one, mm. and because the longer version of it, of course, and they'll have individual stories told in 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 poetry format of uh, you know different social justice events that have taken place across the world. One mm. one is about a, a Syrian kid and how he gets on a boat to come to Australia. Uh, this one's obviously about the uh, um, Palestine conflict. And, and then there's one about... I, I was inspired by a blogger who was flogged in um, in Saudi Arabia for, oh, wow. for, for yeah, just blogging mm. something. So uh, then it inspired me to write, you know, a man had blogged and he was flogged and people were chanting and all that sort of stuff so i'm in the process of having them uh those because they're finished now having them published but yeah i i also perform a uh, spoken word around i haven't done these My, you're the first one who's uh, oh, well who's, thanks man had this no yeah no pleasure man this uh the, the, the last couple i haven't done publicly at all oh wow so well, it's quite a uh, quite a prolific output of stuff that you have going on always, and um, and it's really you know it's inspiring to to observe from afar, and then once every few years catch up with you and <laughs> well, let's hear make all it, let's not it. have it every every few years. Well, you yeah, might have to come does, to London. That does uh, well. I I um I will be going to London again, and I've got my cousins there, and because um, you know my family our families are all over the world now mm. due to circumstance so well see you in london then uh, yeah it wouldn't it be funny though if we caught up more in london than we did <laughs> being w- literally we're one suburb away from yeah, each other yeah. uh, and that's, that that's and that happens man this is the world i i was in france and i saw a friend who i look i'd seen her a few times in melbourne mm. over two years but um only when i was with my girlfriend and and we were in Lyon, and, and we ended up spending a whole night together. It was, yeah, wow. It's uh, yeah, you end up actually seeing. It's there's something that kind of connects you, like you're an expat, and yeah, yeah, you're connected by the commonality of where you've come from, and when you're in a foreign place, that feels uh, comfortable. Yeah, yeah, soothing, soothing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, this has been just an outstanding and amazing conversation. Um, I feel like we could probably keep just going on for ever and ever we'll have to do part two and actually make it a part two not a recapping <laughs> part one again but uh, i end every conversation wrapping it up with one question which is what makes you silly i wish i'd remembered that, <laughs> that was your um each time i forget i listen to the podcast and i still forget what makes me silly I think it's, I'm trying to not think about it, actually. Like, I'm thinking right now about not thinking, mm. and probably that's making me silly right now, you know? I think. Not uh, having eaten for seven hours? And yeah, yeah. Now, lots of things. Lo- lots of things. I think um, uh, when I try to be, to act normal, that makes me silly. Mm. Whatever that normal is, because I sometimes go, oh, I can't, I've I got to, I've got to really act normal, um, and and then I. Look really ordinary, silly. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any examples of 
Well, I was uh, just in Adelaide uh, coming back to Melbourne. Uh, we were at the airport and uh, uh, all the acting, uh, all the troupe, were, the actors were um, under one, not under one ticket, but you put one name and all the other tickets uh, start printing out. Mm. So we're at the kiosk and all these people are lined up. And uh, I'm like, Haha, my name's Osama. Does anyone want to get on a plane? And everyone's like, oh, don't make these jokes, don't make these jokes. <laughs> and then I'm like, how funny would it be if I turn up to the a- airplane late just so they announce my name over the PA system? Osama, your plane. He's like, Look, don't make these jokes, don't make these jokes. And so I printed out all the boarding passes, gave them to the actors. And then, you know, that silly question that he asks you, do you have ammunition, weapons, bombs? Yeah, yeah. And you have to say no. So I just read it out loud. I just said, guys, do you, does anyone have any bombs on them? Any knives, any, <laughs> any guns? And, and all the guys, they were just frozen. And they're like, uh, I'm like, guys, I'm under a legal obligation to, to ask you this question because this screen is asking me, you know, and I'm asking you. And I, then I'm like, oh, act normal. Part of me saying, just be normal, man. You don't have to be. And so, um, it, yeah, probably more ordinary than silly, but um, but it's an example of when I try to be just normal, a civilian like everyone else. When I, you know, when I came uh, to do this with you again, I thought, how funny or weird or bizarre would it be if I sat down and you asked a question and I just sat down in silence <laughs> and said nothing, and then occasionally I'd say something. Mm. So then the audience, your 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 listeners, um, you know, they they. They, they might need a fast forward or you know where the, the spike is in the in the in the, um, in the waveform in the waveform and then I'm like no I don't think I've got enough street cred to do that yet <laughs> <laughs> so maybe in part two yeah. I'll have the zen my zen version <laughs> we'll do a meditation before we uh, <laughs> before we do the interview but um but please, let's do a part two, man. It'd be I awesome, mean, man. It'd be great. Thank no. you so much for doing this again. I really oh, appreciate your time. Man, let's just hope the file doesn't get deleted <laughs> accidentally. I'm doing a quotation mark because I'm doing it. Um, because, uh, because... You don't want to do this three times? No, Persians say, Unless it's three times, we don't have a game. So, right. Well, so, um, God willing... <laughs> God inshallah. Willing, uh, inshallah. Inshallah. <laughs> uh, this podcast will uh, will work out for the best. Inshallah. Inshallah. And uh, is this the time where I give you the gift that I brought you the yarmulke or? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, great. <laughs>